I think we're all searching for clarity. And, you know, I've been the dirtbag climber, lived out of my car before van life was really cool and really expensive. Um, <laughs> I was homeless for, for 10 years, um, wandering around trying to find where I belonged and a place that I could call home. Hey, everybody, how's it going? It's Chris Gerard. I am the founder and CEO of Rome. Welcome back to the Rome podcast. We are so delighted to have you listening again today. Corey and I are getting our feet under us on this one. We're better part of 20 episodes now. And if you've been listening, we're deeply appreciative of your time. Uh, hopefully it's brought some value uh, through this time. We've all been home during COVID and really experiencing a very unique and important time in, in global history. So, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a thumbs up or a subscribe or give a review. Uh, we'd appreciate that. You can find us at any place that uh, podcasts are distributed, Spotify, iTunes, and on the website. And also, if you really like what we're doing here at Rome, check out the annual membership that we have. It is access, full access to Rome Academy and a bunch of other really cool exclusive content opportunities. We really aim to inspire, educate, and give you action tools for living a life of more adventure with purpose. And the membership is the, that community at, at the heart of it. We're going to continue to create great benefits. The biggest one right now being Rome Academy and those courses. Jimmy Chin teaches photography, climbing photography 101. We've got Kelly Starrett with a toolkit for your body for travel and adventure. We've got Corey Richards teaching adventure storytelling. We have Ian Walsh uh, giving us a, a full review on how to pack for surfing and travel and how to organize your garage to a certain degree. We've got breath work workshops coming. We've got uh, backcountry cooking classes coming. If you like what we're doing, uh, go on over to, to roamemedia.com and check out the membership. You can sign up there for under $13 a month to get all sorts of incredible benefits, uh, $12.41 to be exact, and benefits including Rome Academy, mentor sessions, VIP access to this podcast, exclusive content like Legends from the Field, all sorts of really cool stuff we're working hard to bring to you to, to help you live a life of more adventure with purpose. Uh, today, very excited to have Rebecca Rush on the show. She is a badass, to say the least, big hero of mine in all of her endeavors. Uh, she also will be an instructor uh, on Rome Academy with bikepacking in the coming months. Um, but today, Corey and I dove deep with her. Hope you enjoy the episode. Here she is, Rebecca Rush. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca Hi. Rush. What's up? <laughs> Hi, so Rebecca welcome Rush. to Rome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was laughing because you're, you're at, when you asked Jimmy Chin to introduce himself, he didn't do a very good job. And then you guys had to jump in. Yeah. Jimmy's like, I don't know. I do stuff. I got dimples. Yeah. I'm like, right. come on, Jimmy. I'm like good looking and, and I'm kind of, you know, I do some things. I, that, I was laughing at that because that's, I mean, I have the same trouble. People are like, well, what do you do for a living? And yeah, I'm a professional athlete, you know, ultra endurance athlete, but like any human, we're not one dimensional and, and there's, there's a lot more to it. My, my template has for my work has been endurance athletics for 
three plus decades everything from rock climbing to paddling to adventure racing and now ultra endurance cycling and so that's kind of the the canvas that i work in um i write a bit and have a have a film um on you know the biggest ride of my life and host some events here in idaho and and try to really just to try to share the experiences that i have on the trail with other people um and it's been yeah it's been cool to morph from me standing on a podium celebrating you know my wins but now being able to use you know i'm a world champion and record holder and all kinds of stuff but that has been a real that is was amazing um and i'm still racing and competing but that really is the springboard and the and the foundation for me to actually be able to share with other people and and hopefully change the world a little bit you talk a lot about um questions that people would in your tedx talk uh and you know people like well where do you live what do you do (laughs) and it seems like you've come to terms with with having a slightly different answer to all of that um which i think is helpful right now for people because without clarity they're searching for clarity does that yeah does that make sense i think we're all searching for clarity and you know i've been the dirtbag climber lived out of my car you know, did seasonal jobs at ski resorts, things like that, you know, sort of the before van life was really cool and really expensive. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I, yeah, I I was homeless for, for 10 years, um, wandering around trying to find really, you know, enjoying the outside and, and finding a form of therapy in the outdoors, but really looking for where I belonged and a place that I could call home and, you know, five years ago, I went and did the biggest bike ride of my life and rode the Ho Chi Minh Trail really with the, you know, an expedition goal, but the the secondary, well, main goal it ended up being was to find the place, you know, go to the map coordinates where my dad died, where in the Vietnam War, where his plane was shot down. And and going there, that since then, the five-year process has really really opened up this kind of internal exploration of finding home and finding where you belong and finding who you are to confidently say, this is me. I'm not, I'm not chasing any more podiums or goals, or I might get some, but, but I don't need to chase that anymore because I'm comfortable in my own skin. And, you know, I think we're all being locked down at home right now. It's really interesting for me to listen to people you know, struggle with that, struggle with being with their family or, you know, not being on the move and not chasing something and just sitting still. And it's amazing how hard that is for people where I love, I'm, I live in Idaho. I live in a place that I love. I'm lucky to have nature around me, but I'm also comfortable sitting still. And for much of my professional athletic life, I was not comfortable sitting still and just being in my own head and writing things down and it's been a very I got through that process through cycling you know that it is a bit of my therapy but um but really you know doing the Ho Chi Minh Trail it's probably the slowest ride I've ever done you know it took me a month to cover 1200 miles whereas in you know if you flip flip that into a racing aspect I don't know how I would have done it a lot faster if I wasn't with my Vietnamese teammate who was a total stranger on the other side of the conflict, her dad fought in the war, my dad fought in the war on the other side. You know, if, if I had gone my speed, warp speed, um, instead of 
the speed of uh, exploration and, and with a total stranger, um, I would have missed a lot. I would have missed a lot in seeing her and her culture and understanding the Vietnam War from the Vietnamese side. And I think it's part of where we are right now, trying to look through a lens of the same situation from somebody else's side. And there were times in that trip where she would say to me, you know, oh, you know, the Vietnamese were always treated the American soldiers very well. Like they just, they just kept them and held them and, you know, kept them safe until they could go home. And I'm just, you know, initially that invoked a lot of anger and just intensity and, you know, the things I wanted to say to her when, it, when she said that were, were really intense. But then, you know, we rode bikes a few more hours and, and I really thought about, you know, that's probably what she was taught from her school, from her side. And who am I to get angry at her for something that she was taught? And I was taught something different. You know, I, we saw the prisoners of war and we saw footage of, you know, atrocious behavior on both sides, but she, she didn't know that. And so for me to get angry at her coming from her world wouldn't have been productive at all. It was a real eye-opener for me to my initial anger reaction, but to also just be like, well, that is what she was taught. That's what she learned. That's where she came from. And, you know, us riding together for a month was a, a really interesting study in, in, in people from different cultures, different sides of the world. And we were way more similar than, than dissimilar. And I, I wouldn't have thought that at the beginning of the ride. It's, that's interesting. You mentioned, I mean, essentially the idea is being able to hold opposing ideas in your head at the same time, even if you don't believe in one or both, yeah. or if you believe in aspects of both and trying to reconcile that. I mean, do you have any sort of technique that you, or any, technique's not the right word. How do you, how do you do that? How do you juggle that? Like, what's your process there? When you're, when somebody says something that you don't agree with and you're flamed up, like, how do you not speak? <laughs> yeah. And I would say this is not something that, that I don't think anybody masters because emotion is there because you feel a certain way and you have, you have something that is fueling that feeling. Um, I think as I've gotten older, one, it's to, to wait before I speak <laughs> and take a deep breath and actually try to think before talking. I mean, our grandmothers taught us that, you know, it's, it's nothing new. Um, or I say nothing and, and go on a long bike ride. I mean, I really do use physical activity to process my thoughts. Um, something about the blood flow and, you know, being away from screens and digital that, that I do go in nature to really think about things. And, and I never used to journal until I did the Ho Chi Minh trail. And that was part of, you know, the, creative director, Nicholas Shrunk, he made me voice journal and write journal um, as part of the filmmaking process. And that has stuck with me and has been really powerful. And, and you know, I've written down even about him, like during, during the making of Blood Road, like we're on the ride and I'm writing, you know, not so nice things about the creative director, Nicholas Shrunk in my journal, knowing that he's going to read my journal. Um, but that was an outlet for me to, to let anger out and, I think I've also learned too that it's anger or lashing out really isn't a productive, a productive way to work. It doesn't really get anyone anywhere. And I've learned that in my business as, you know, sort of being an entrepreneur as an athlete and, you know, 
happened to really throw elbows um, in the bike industry and the outdoor sports industry where there weren't a lot of women, you know, when there are more now, um, it's still lopsided, but you know, I, initially I was pretty aggressive and like, why isn't it this way? And why, you know, why aren't more women and, and angry kind of like people are now. Um, and that was right. You know, it was, it was right for me to feel that way, but it wasn't proactive for me to act that way because it, in the end, it didn't get what I wanted in the end, you, you know, have to sort of go around the edges of an issue or a problem like that, that maybe makes you angry instead of, well, why is it this way and how can I change it? Um, and so I, I think I've learned a bit more about how can you, you be proactive and create the change instead of just shouting and stomping and yelling about it like a five-year-old or a 25-year-old or a 45-year-old might do. <laughs> and like I said, I haven't mastered it at all. I definitely have. I have an intense side to me um, and long, long bike rides help, help temper that a little bit. <laughs> I think you make a good point though, that screaming, and, and I've done this as a professional athlete. I mean, with, you know, I've lost my main sponsors because I've, I've been hard to work with, you know, yeah. and it's not that I'm like hard to work with in the moment. It's that I'm reactionary. So when something doesn't go my way, I, and this is the way I've always been since I was a child. And just now, just like around 40, am I like, I need to act with more temperance and um, I need to be more like, like you said, take a moment. Um, but I think it's hard when you're, when you're, when people are angry, when they are, when the emotion is raw, you have a choice and you make it almost right at the beginning of, do I follow the anger or do I observe the anger? And if you follow it, you're in action and you're yelling, right? Yeah. But how often, like when somebody yells at us, yells at yeah. our face, how often are we actually listening to them? Right. We're not. And, you know, and CJ brought up a couple, you know, you bring up some of the great leaders in our world, you know, Martin Luther King, Barack Obama, and the patience and calmness. I've always been like, how can they not be so angry? But you look at the productivity and, and what great leaders were able to do. It really doesn't come from shouting and screaming and, you know, wielding the biggest sword. Um, it, it comes from patience and intellect and education and, and a bit more creative thinking. And I mean, I look to leaders like that when, yeah, when I want to go off and shout and scream and, and yell about inequality, it's like, or, or something that feels unjust. Um, it's not productive. It's the long road. It's taking the long game. It's, I mean, it's like trying to lose weight or something, you know, and this is a bad analogy, but if you want to lose 20 pounds in a week, it's not going to stick. You might do something really drastic and dramatic, but then as soon as, you know, you, you eat a meal again, it's going to be the same or the slow process of like, you know, you know, slowly changing, changing your diet and changing your habit and yeah. And making something really stick. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I said, it's not the best analogy, but it, it, it's a process. Any kind of change is a, a really long process like us as humans. <laughs> I mean, we're a diet pill culture. We want the yeah. silver bullet. Right, right. Well, and that's rea going back to what you were saying about reaction, Corey. You know, like I think that's the easy path. It's the path we all are born with to a degree is the, the instincts to react versus changing your mind. If you look at that 
in, in the sense of, and I'm with you, Rekha, like this process, it's so difficult, but it, it's like the, the more you go through, the more you like, you have to be able to look at yourself first and the self-examination that goes into understanding where that anger comes from and does it serve you? And it's, it's a really difficult thing to be able to, in the moment when someone's screaming in your face, whether yeah. that's metaphorically or everything we're going through right now to, to be able to sort of step back within that and look at it and say, what is to use your examples of Martin Luther King or Gandhi or the greats that basically taught us not to react, yeah. you know, in one way or another. And right now it feels like leaning into that, whether that's from a spiritual sense or from a historical sense, it's so necessary. And in the end, it, it, it seems to serve us better. Well, you, you make a good point of process and you, Michael Gervais has a podcast called Finding Mastery and that's really interesting. And he, and he, he talks about how mastery of the craft is, is not necessarily the thing. The mastery of the craft is what helps that person master themselves. And so my lens, you know, ultra endurance sports, it's like going and riding the Iditarod Trail or Ho Chi Minh Trail, all these long things. I mean, yeah, great. I'm getting really good at bike expeditions and outdoor expeditions. But ultimately what I'm learning from the Ho Chi Minh Trail and on is that I'm, I'm learning about myself. And that trail is a teacher for me. And I keep going back there because that is my process to master myself. And you know, to get back to the anger discussion, the Iditarod Trail that I just did in late February, early March and came right out to the pandemic. That was my last expedition. And I was so ready, you know, um, I was dialed. I was going to win the whole thing overall. And 30 minutes in to a seven day race um, in the Alaskan wilderness, I made a navigational error and it was calculated. I sat there, I decided, and I went the wrong way. And I was immediately out of the race um, in the middle of Alaska on a part of the trail where nobody else was. Um, and, you know, from a, a winning standpoint, it was over. And I spent some time getting mad, you know, yelling myself, thinking I should quit. I'm just going to turn around and go home. Um, and then it started snowing and then it started getting dark. And then I really sort of, you know, got my head together and realized that throwing a tantrum out there wasn't going to help me. Um, and so I went through the process. I got, you know, stopped feeling sorry for myself and I moved forward and I was proactive about it. And yeah, it was seven, did eight hours. Did you consider even for a second quitting? <laughs> yeah. Did you consider oh, yeah. quitting? You did? It came to my mind. I'm like, fuck yeah. it. I'm quitting. I'm going to go back. This is stupid. Um, right. and it ended up, I ended up finishing the event. I ended up, um, meeting up with my husband and, going through the hardest expedition of my life, you know, it's minus 40, 50 mile an hour winds, serious survival conditions. And we did it together. And like, it was the most powerful experience. And now I know that I can survive anything. Um, given that experience, I can survive that. But that moment of like me wanting to throw that five-year-old temper tantrum of I'm not going to win. I was so prepared. I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to go home. And thank goodness, you know, um, I didn't do that. And 
and carried on and went forward and trudged through the snow all night and had a few tears and had a, a little pity party. But um, in the end, I'm so much stronger of a person from that because I didn't quit. And I evaluated the situation and went on. And I'm, I use that kind of stuff every day. And I, I didn't know at the time I would come out to a global pandemic and civil unrest. And I mean, the world that we are in now, nobody would have imagined six months ago. And I'm really drawing on some of those experiences on the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Alaska. And um, because that's what I know, that's the lens that I learn from. Hmm. How do you, sorry, yeah, go ahead. CJ. No, it's fine. You go, you go. <laughs> when you're in that, when you're in that moment, Rebecca, where you're considering quitting and, you know, do you have go-to anchors? Do you have, whether it's, you know, your past expeditions or people in your life that you look up to or spirituality, you know, what is it that you're able to sort of talk yourself off the ledge and get perspective in, in those moments? Because we all have them. Where do you go? I mean, the reason there's a few, there's a few tactics I use and, and this happened after the five years, sort of a process after the Ho Chi Minh Trail is, is, is I did define some anchors and some sort of equations that I live by. And I came off the Ho Chi Minh Trail just being like, what do I stand for? Like that, what do I do now? Like how, how do I, what's next? Is my competitive edge gone? Like basically who am I? I came back from that. Like, who am I? What do I stand for? And, you know, it was a process that was a dark time for me, but really getting introspective and writing down a few core values and, you know, and eventually a mission statement of like my own personal human mission statement and businesses all have mission statements and very few individuals actually write down their mantra, their values, um, what they stand for. But every business goes through that process. Um, you even sent me like some cool stuff for my business of like going through the process of developing your, your company values and mission statements. And I haven't yet really done it for my company, but I've done it for myself. And, and so, yeah, I, I do go back on what I stand for, why I'm there. The reason I choose really committing, I'm, trending towards really committing expeditions is because there isn't a bailout, you know, and in Alaska, yeah, I could have quit, but still would have been kind of hard <laughs> to quit. Um, and I like being in a situation where it isn't easy to quit and where the, sometimes the best way is forward. Um, and so, yeah, I do choose those commitments, but ultimately my, my dad wrote the words, be good in every letter home from the Vietnam war. And that's, that's become really, you know, what I live by, what my business is for, what I'm about. And it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, two simple words, be good. Um, but I do believe I, my athletic career brought me to the Ho Chi Minh trail and to those map coordinates so that I could hear those, those words from him. And, and he could teach me, even though he's, he's not around anymore. How have you moved? I think this is, for me, this is important. I think so often, um, and I know I'm guilty of this, we get caught in our, in a, we, we have a creation story that helps us understand where we came from, who we are, how we've become who we are, especially intellectual or thoughtful people do this. And then it becomes an identity. 
And at some point that identity can become a cage. And it seems to me like for, through watching you and listening to the podcast and reading about you that, you know, there was a, a, a time where you identified with this thing that had happened and then you moved beyond it, which is freedom from the creation story. It happened. It affected me, but I'm no longer, I'm no longer, um, it is no longer my identity. When, when did that happen and how? I mean, how did you move beyond that? Like, I have this creation story. I am a high school dropout. I, you know, had an abusive childhood. I, like, struggled and was homeless and all this shit. And I did a lot of drugs. And then, I, you know, and that became, it became my story, right? And, that, mm -hmm. and then I sort of lived and died by it. You know, I'm an addict. I'm this. I'm that. Okay. Um, and then at some point, I made this leap to, like, okay, well, wait a minute. Those are things that happened, Mm -hmm. And I'm no longer, I'm not bound by that. And so I'm asking like, you know, your father passed away in the war. You went back to find him. There's a creation story around it. And then you transcend it and you start using it to your benefit and your, mm -hmm. in a good way, in a positive way. Does that yeah. make more sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I do get that. It's, it's a really cool thing to hone in on. Um, and I, I would say, yeah, I've been an athlete all my life. That was my, Rebecca's an athlete, you know, high school running you know, rock climbing, paddling, everything, you know, I've been in, I've never known anything else other than being an athlete. And I was definitely put in that, that zone. Um, and as my career went on and, and I more for different sports, it was like, well, why, why do you keep doing these things? Why do you keep doing th these things? And why do you keep torturing yourself? And I think that the real turning point was riding the Ho Chi Minh trail of, of me as an athlete going to do an athletic expedition, but it, it was for the first time, it was, um, it had other facets to it, which was connecting with family, connecting with a culture, ultimately um, finding out about all the unexploded ordinance that people like my dad were responsible that are still there, that are killing people. And it was a real eye opener through that lens of my bike um, to see that I, was not a one dimensional person like you, you know, you're more than a high school dropout or a former addict and I'm more than an athlete. And I think that ride was where, you know, my dad really took the blinders off. And like I said, I had to go slowly. We were doing a film. I had to talk about it all the time. I had a journal. And then in subsequent years, I had to go film tour and share the film and talk about it. And, and see, you know, meet other veterans and talk to my sister, talk to my mom. Like we had never opened a conversation about my dad and it was really ripping the scab off. And many Vietnam veterans had never talked about their experience. And so suddenly I was this, I was the messenger for this um, message of healing from a war that has never healed. And suddenly I was not just an athlete um, I was a daughter, I was a sister, I was a gold star, you know, family member. I didn't even know what a gold star family was in, and I have been one my whole life. And so I feel like I became educated into who I, the bigger part of me, who I was, um, that I am more than an athlete and that launched the foundation. It launched me deciding, you know, what are my core values, what I stand for, what I'm going to do with it. And subsequently, you know, I got to know myself better um, through the process of having to tell other people. And that ride really did, it, it took the blinders off for me and it showed me the potential I have and how I can use 
my skill as an athlete to do a hell of a lot more than, than win, win another trophy or, and it's, it's become quite an exploration um, externally and internally, but yeah, I've moved beyond that. And hopefully all humans get to a point of maturity, you know, some sooner rather than later where you pivot from your craft and your thing being about you mastering your craft and it evolves into you still trying to master yourself and your craft, but, but it expands far. Your circle gets a lot bigger than, than right here, right in front of you. And it's exciting to feel like that's where I am. And I'm, I mean, I'm in no way evolved or at the end of anything. And I, I get asked all the time, when are you going to stop racing? When are you going to stop doing expeditions? And the answer is never because that, that is who I am. It's how I learn. It's how I express myself. It's how I share what I know. And so that evolution is going to continue. Um, but the last five years have been really hard, but now I'm starting to see really the fruits of the labor of what that expedition really meant to mm. me. Mm. What, what were the, um, I don't know if maybe you know this off the top of your head. I'd assume you probably do, but what are the coordinates that you were writing towards? I mean, do you know the numbers? Do you actually have them memorized? They're tattooed on my arm here. Oh, okay. Well, that's an easy reminder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a map coordinate. I've, I've always loved navigation. I've always been drawn to maps. There's a big pile of basket of maps behind me, a paper map. And um, it really was th those coordinates were, were this kind of like, drawing me for for my whole career um eventually like leading i can trace back like if i hadn't joined cross-country running i hadn't done this i hadn't changed the biking i hadn't become a red bull athlete like none of then i would never have gotten to that that map coordinate in the middle of the jungle and it, it all was leading there and it that kind of process you know looking back has shown me that things are not coincidental and our world has so much connectivity and if, if anyone saw Blood Road, you know, meeting the, the village chief whose father buried my father, I mean, those are not coincidental things. Like this man in Laos and I are connected in this way. And, and he had dreams about me before I even showed up. Can you tell that story, Rebecca? I mean, because <laughs> oh. first also there's a, for anyone who might not know, there's, a, we've been talking a lot about it, but there's a beautiful film that Red Bull Media House and Rebecca partnered on called Blood Road. And it is the story uh, a gorgeous film that really goes deep. And there's a part in the film um, that Rebecca's referring to. And it's a really, I think is a, there's a great point of the story. So maybe tell, cause it, it's, it gives you chills. Like I'd love and it's, yeah, I'll tell it. And I, I feel like it's just this, this reference of how connected we are. Um, and, you know, three quarters of the way through the ride, we'd went on the trail two and a half weeks, um, we're getting closer to the coordinates, the map coordinates, this small village in Ta'oi. And the way that it works in, in Laos, you know, it's very remote. They live in huts, there's no running water. Um, and to access someone's land, you have to talk to the village chief and ask for permission. And you have to do a ceremony and bless the spirit. So we meet this man, the village chief of Ta'oi, right near the crash site. Um, and I learned through a translator that, um, his father, who was the village chief at the time, after the plane crashed, they went in with the North Vietnamese soldiers to see if there were any survivors. 
they saw two dead American soldiers. Then after the Vietnamese, North Vietnamese left, the two Lao, uh, the village chief, Laos village chief went in and, and buried the bodies, um, moved them under a tree and buried them respectfully. And, and I'm learning this story from the village, the current village chief in Taoi five years ago, sitting in his hut, cross-legged, you know, toasting the spirits with, <laughs> with Lao Kao, which is their version of rice whiskey. And he tells me, you know, my father buried your father. And, and I just sat there and I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. And then he also, the man, he, he pointed, he, he, he said his mother was pregnant at the time. And this is all through a translator. And that the village shaman had said to him or his mother, when one spirit dies, another is born. And these men are, are born in you, you know, in your baby. And then uh, Mr. Eyre was born. And he, he pointed to me when he's telling me the story, I'm crying and I, I can't believe it. And he looks down and he says, he, he looks down and he points to his toes, his feet, and he has six toes, you know? And he says, you're a part of me. We are brother and sister. And he says, here's my proof, you know? And he, he points to his toe. And I mean, there's no other way to explain it. And, and we, I, I do believe we are brother and sister and part of my dad is, is born in him. And, and just the sheer, like how touching that someone who's bombing your billet, village, you know, you go in and give them a proper burial. I mean, it's, I, there are so many layers to that of forgiveness and humanity and connectivity in our world. And, and each time I've gone back to visit Mr. Air, I've asked him, I said, did you know, second time I went back, I said, did you expect to see me again? And he, he just said, yeah, I knew you would come back. And then the third time I said, you know, same, did you know I was coming? And he said, yeah, I had a dream a month ago. I saw you a month ago. I knew you were coming. And I can't explain that. <laughs> And it's, it's, we are from very different worlds, but yet I understand him. He understands me. He has children. He understands like he, and he said, I would go looking for my father too. And, you know, and he promised that he takes care of that spot for me, that tree. He said, I'll never cut the tree down. Um, so that's my little place where I go. Hmm. Did, did you, I mean, for, for people, I just want to recap so people understand like the coordinates that we were talking about are the coordinates of where your father went down in his airplane, correct? Yeah, they're the Air Force coordinates that we got, you know, official documents from the U.S. Air Force, uh, the official report um, written by the pilot in the second plane who I also got to meet of, of what happened that day. And, and yeah, so there are coordinates on a map. And does, did, was there anything there? I mean, the tree obviously exists where your father is buried, but was there any wreckage or anything like that that you that was yeah. observable? There is. There was. Yeah. I mean, we, Mr. Air went through with the machete and he started tapping and pulling bits of metal out of the ground and there were pieces of the plane. And I mean, yeah, it, it's unreal. You know, 47 years later that that place in the middle of the jungle um, still has pieces of my dad and pieces of the plane and and of Carter Howell who died with him that day and you know I've I've gone to Arlington obviously my dad has had a ceremony um you know they found two teeth 
were all of the human remains that were found there. Um, two of my dad's teeth, they didn't find any remain, human remains for Carter Howell. And um, so, yeah, my dad had a whole ceremony in Arlington and, and you know, that was, that was a bit empty for me. I don't feel him there. I mean, I feel the weight of war and all that at Arlington. Um, but I feel my dad really when I go to that tree because that's where he is for me. Such a, it's such a powerful story. I mean, did you, did you feel in the moment, um, and I'm getting at something here, I'm trying to anyway, did you feel that, was there a release in the moment or has that all come after? There was totally a release. And I, you know, it's, you know, you, there is a film and, but I don't remember the film crew being there, which is such a testament to like, I, I couldn't have told you if anyone else was there. It was just me and my husband and Huan, my teammate. Um, and people have said over and over again, that you must have experienced closure. That must be so nice to finally have closure. And it's exactly the opposite of that. I got to that tree and I just felt my shoulders drop and just, I didn't realize I'd been searching for my dad and, and I just, I felt like I was home and that is, I, I felt like I was finally home. I was meeting my dad for the first time in my life and I felt protected. I felt safe. I felt like this is maybe that finish line that I've been grasping for, for so many years and working so hard in endurance sports. Like there it was right there. And yeah, I felt this sense of immense peace and, connected to him, connected to my husband. Like I just felt love and joy. And, and instead of a closure, it was an opening. It was um, a discovery of all these aspects of my life that, that I had been closed up and, and locked away. Like I was found the key. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in, and the film chronicles it beautifully. Uh, all the the whole story, um, and and you were three years old when when you lost your father. Right? Yeah, I don't remember him. I don't have any memories. My only memories are from other you know stories from other people or mm -hmm. or the letters he wrote. And you know, I've had friends who watched the film who know me really well, and they they just said it's night and day difference between who I am two thirds of the way through the film, and then the way I look after the tree. Um, you know, people who know me really well just said there was this joy and lightness about you that was, and I felt that too, like the rest of the ride, I just, I felt free. Um, and I, I did not expect to feel that way. And it really has been such a, like, amazing five years of that process, you know, it, it's not over. That was the key to unlock, you know, um, a lot of things for me. And, and I'm still doing that. And the, your foundation, Be Good Foundation, and so many of the things, and, and if you go to RebeccaRush.com, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, Rebecca, you tell me, but the way that you're describing it, where you found the key, I mean, this, this website and the foundation and what you do to give back and your, your academy and your value, everything, if you go to RebeccaRush.com, there's an elegant ecosystem of this sort of all put together. And is that a manifestation when you say you found the key, like did all of this come after, after that? Yeah. All of this came yeah. after blood road. I mean, I've always done women's clinics or, you know, I think it, the, the, 
the values were always there, but I wasn't able to articulate them, to understand them, to put them on paper, to have a, a, a plan. I, this, the way, this is the best way I can explain it is I've always had, I've always had the internal compass. I just haven't always had the map. And now I have the trail map to like, okay, you know, this is, this is what I'm doing. And a sense of clarity of like, I've always been drawn in this direction, but I just didn't really know what to do with it. And you and I have talked early on, you know, when I'm after Blood Road, kind of struggling with my business and what I do. And you're, you know, you've helped me and been a mentor. And you basically said, well, you're a startup. Like you're, you know, even at, you know, I'm 51 now. It's like, how would I have been an athlete for three decades? And I'm like, just now a startup? Like when you said that, it was a little bit, not insulting, but I was like, I'm not a start, like, I'm not just starting this, but I really was just starting to understand how to use my platform and, and what I could do with my athletic career. And it, it's all stems from blood road and from that ride a hundred percent. It's amazing. I mean, what, you know, and just even recently this past Memorial day weekend, which obviously has deep meaning for you, uh, Rebecca did the giddy up for good challenge and, motivated like 900 people globally to donate raised a better part of 150 grand for COVID relief and got me up off my ass uh, after (laughs) 75 days of uh, being in my house to get back on my bike and did that for so many people. And it's such a, it's amazing the manifestation of, of what you've put together and how you're able to motivate people and be an example Um, and, and you're doing that with your foundation, you're doing it with your camps, which, uh, you know, right now, obviously it's a little bit tenuous, but what's next on, on that after doing this, this past weekend, you know, what, what's next for you with, with where we are? Well, you know, this circles back to the beginning of our conversation is, you know, I'm sitting at home, like a lot of us in COVID, you know, during the pandemic and, and also feeling like I'm not physically taking care of myself very well, you know, I wasn't sort of living up to my training regime and, and all that. And, and I just felt like I had to do something. I had to take action. Like I can't just sit here and wait for the next mourn, you know, the loss of a bike race and wait for the next thing to come. I'm like, I've got to do something, you know, I live in a beautiful place, you know, what can we, how can I be proactive and giddy up challenge really, you know, it was a virtual ride run challenge. Um, and that stemmed from me just wanting to meet some personal needs of, of getting active again um, and doing something positive for, for COVID relief. And, and it really was as simple as that. And we threw this thing together in a few weeks and, and yeah, raised, you know, took action, basically action with, with the right intent behind it. And so I didn't expect that to, <laughs> that to happen, but I, I think it's proof that people as different as we may seem, we aren't all that different and that people wanted to move for their own health and wellness and they want to do something. And so there'll probably be another form of, of the giddy up challenge because for me, what I love from that is that people all around the world, they took a ride or a run into their backyard and they found an adventure in their backyard. And I heard people say, you know, it was the best day my family's ever had together. Or I found this place right outside my home that I, I never have found. And 
you know, it may not seem like a big deal to go on a bike ride or a run, but the, the way that people connected to their core group, their family and their home turf was really special. Um, and we travel the world and look for answers to all these questions that maybe are deep inside us. And, and, you know, this goes back to that sense of home, you know, it, the answers maybe just are right here, right where we are. And we don't have to go anywhere except inside to find them. Uh, um, and then take action to share that for somebody else. And so what's next for me is, is I definitely am planning on more bike expeditions. I'm really into bike packing right now and exploring, and I'm probably going to stay in Idaho, um, for the year and explore my backyard because there's plenty of it and hopefully share some of those rides and some of those stories with other people and give them tools to, to go have their own personal exploration, be it on a bike or foot or, or whatever. You bring up a really, I mean, this, you, you, you've kind of put a bow on this in general, but I, I have one question, which is, it seems like people in our, in our sort of rarefied genre of work or whatever you want to call this lifestyle, oftentimes come to the same conclusion, which is I started doing this stuff to, to seek out answers or to, um, to find out truths. And ultimately what I learned is the truth is with me and has been all along. How do we, how do you move people towards that understanding without the outward action first? Because it seems in some ways like they're innately or inherently tied together. Like you have to go out in order to find that you didn't have to go out a sort of a Zen Cohen. <laughs> like how do we, how do we move people towards the understanding that, you don't have to go out in that adventure, like the, the, the same truths are actually in you and with you all the time. I think that's, it's easier for me to access in nature because it's, it's a familiar place for me to go, you know, go out for hours and, and sweat and get the blood flow going that way. But what, what I'm starting to learn, and, and also this is a practice, is, is through journaling and meditation and sitting at dinner with the TV off and talking to my husband, you know, that those, the answers, they are within you always, they're there. It's just, how do you find them? Do you find them through sport? Do you find them through, um, you know, volunteering? Do you find those answers through mastering another craft, playing the violin? Um, but ultimately we're, you're right. We're all going to come to the same place of introspection and whatever tool you use to get there it doesn't matter, but yeah, you don't have to choose my tool of riding hundred miles or a thousand miles. Um, you can sit, simply sit in your house quiet and, and play the ukulele. That may be how you reach it as well, <laughs> which I'm trying to learn the ukulele in honor of my dad, but I'm not, I only know one song. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great instrument. I love the ukulele. It's such a fun one. But you, you, we just, we all choose our own tool to get there. Corey, that's kind of the point. And, and it's not the same tool every day. My dog, my dogs are often that kind of a spiritual reminder of, of when I walk them and they wake up happy and they, they chase squirrels with reckless abandon, even though they never catch them, they always fail, but they're still committed. I mean, like, so yeah, come, I think our teaching comes in a lot of places. For me, it mostly comes from the trail, but it also comes at, at home. And I think we're all feeling that right now, just sitting and having dinner with your family or making a meal, you know, that can be a really bonding spiritual experience. 
or yeah. growing lettuce, Chris. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You like my lettuce? It looks good. <laughs> it's, it's coming in. It's coming in. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, you know, you're known for, Rebecca, is operating in, in places of pain or at least outside of the comfort zone. And I mean, we started this conversation today talking about that, about being uncomfortable and about pushing, pushing the, our own comfort zones. And obviously the, there's a, for both of you as professional athletes who have done amazing things that are about physical discomfort. Um, but I feel like there's something there with that around pushing, being uncomfortable right now and pushing that comfort zone. And as we talked about trying to move to action, um, you know, what is, and, and we talked about this, so I'm going to, I'm going to lay it up for you, Rebecca, but what is your relationship with pain now? It's a, yeah. And this is a good question. Rich Roll first asked me that question when I was on his podcast and I floundered, I didn't have a good answer. And he really made me think, um, which is great. These are great conversations. And, and, you know, I have a nickname, the queen of pain and people are like, Oh, why do you torture yourself? Why do you want to suffer? And for me, um, I don't, I don't enjoy pain. I mean, yeah, nobody does, but what I do enjoy is what happens on the other side of that and who you are at the end of the Iditarod trail or who you are at the end of the Ho Chi Minh trail. Um, and so pain is my teacher and, the physical pain that I endure in my sport, it strips away the defensive layers and really allows me to access um, what's in my heart. And I, that is my process of peeling the onion is, is the physical work to access the emotion, to do the emotional work. And, and that's my tool. That's my teacher. That's why I keep doing it. I'm not as good. I'm getting better, but like Corey said, I'm not as good as at accessing who I am on the inside um, without the physical work. I'm trying, you know, journaling, meditating, but you know, Jimmy Chin even mentioned like he can't sit still and meditate. Like it's hard. It's a very, it's a very much a practice, but I think any sort of physical, emotional discomfort, that is, that's where we learn. That's where we become who we're really meant to be. Um, and that's where we, really step beyond, you know, and reach, reach towards our capabilities as humans. It's, it's that old thing of like, you know, I didn't say this to Jimmy, but I, I absolutely would. And he knows it, you know, but you bring it up. Like if you're bad at it, that's probably the thing that you need to be doing. Yeah. You know, like that's where you need to put your attention. At least that's the way I live. Like, I'm not saying that in career, like, Oh, I'm really bad at doing this thing that I hate. So I'm going to go change my career. I'm saying like, turn into your weaknesses um, and that, and, and they become strengths, right? So you have to do it in sport. I mean, if you're, you know, you're bad at doing, you know, shooting free throws, you're a basketball player. You've got to practice that because exactly. it's part of the whole thing. You can't separate it and just not do it. And so, yeah, getting uncomfortable, working on our weaknesses, you know, being a perpetual student, I think is essential. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't think you it's can say it better. Back to back to educating yourself, <laughs> even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Which, yeah, I, I would like to take it back to that. You know, today is June second, twenty twenty, and we're eight nine days into 
into incredible unrest in, in our country and months into a pandemic. And it's uncomfortable in general, but we're all experiencing, I think, some level of pain and, and anguish right now. Um, but what can we do to, to, to take that, as you're saying, like pain is your teacher, what can we do? And this is a, this is a, there's not an answer to this question. Yeah. So it's not a question for you, Rebecca. It's yeah. more the conversation of that's, how a, do we it's take called this? rhetorical, Chris. Thank you. Thank no. you. <laughs> that's why I have you on this podcast for you. <laughs> Just for the big words. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, what do we, what we started with is, is this feeling of discomfort and uncomfortable conversations around what I think certainly the three of us, I mean, I think we would all agree that we want there to be a more just and equitable world, right? And this, these ideas that you're talking about, Rebecca, with us all being connected, like it's impossible to, if you look at any social media feed right now, or you watch the news to not feel just your heart's breaking right now. And it's very uncomfortable. So I think that, you know, we're, we're talking about what can we do? What actions can we, we take um, being in this outdoor somewhat insulated world? And I don't have that answer, but I think that what I'm hearing all of us say is like, we have to get educated. We have to listen. We have to go deep and do the things that we're not good at right now, which is in part, if you're, if you're an adventure athlete or you're an adventure, you know, we're not necessarily cut, out to be solving social justice problems, but I think maybe we need to get better at it also as part of, of the community in, in the United States. Or, or maybe we are cut out for exactly that. We, it's just been a weakness to this point and it's time to turn into the weakness. I'll go back. We all have a internal moral compass. We all have it. We just don't have a trail map yet, but we will. Boom. <laughs> That's a nice well, way to end I, one, it. <laughs> one thing that we will do, I mean, for the listeners, you know, I think that what I'm feeling is that we, as, as all of us who have platforms, we need to help our community at least by pointing to the things that we're reading. And Corey, you mentioned films and there are books and there are websites and there are people who this is their life's work. And they do have things that we can do, whether that's as simple as a donation or to get out there and actually put your body on, on the line or put yourself in the midst of peaceful protest. You know, I think one of the things that we can all feel is, as we were talking about yesterday, Rebecca, tweeting or, or posting something on Instagram, it almost feels like the wrong thing to do because it's so insulated and it's so safe and it's so... I mean, it's a, it, collectively it's effective, but it feels disingenuous almost if you're not doing something beyond that. It's and a I think start. That's, it's not it's the start. only thing. It's, it's a start to something much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want people to feel empowered in that, on those platforms to speak up, but not to preach, especially if you're, you know, somebody who has experienced white privilege, you know, again, it's, it's yes, stand in solidarity, but it, this is not your time to, to preach. It's, I don't know. I'm, it's your so time back to, to listen. The listening, right? Yeah. Listen and try to, I mean, some of the stories you were telling Rebecca about, you know, your riding partner 
on the Ho Chi Minh Trail and, and trying to put yourself in mind and mind, right? Like to, for us to be able to imagine what it is to be another in another person's experience. And that's really hard to do. I'm not, again, I'm not preaching about it, but I think that looking into that right now is where everything has to start in terms of action. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good, ideally, you know, you spend time with somebody who has a different uh, upbringing aspect, different color of skin than you. You know, I was able to do that with Huen. If you don't have access to that, then the next best thing, like you said, is reading movies, education, and spending time with, with people who are different or different cultures, um, spending time, you know, in, in the media, in, through book and film, but ideally, yeah, it's, it's face-to-face one-on-one and spend some time going, going along bike ride with somebody that you've never been on, that you didn't know before. And mm-hmm. I guarantee you'll get to know each other really well and, and see a different perspective. I'm just, I'm just I'm so emotionally like bombed today. Yeah, the the whole reason, the whole reason we we're talking about it is because I, I almost canceled because I was literally just, yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle, but I'm so happy we did have the conversation. So I really appreciate it. I'm glad you didn't cancel too. It's, it's actually <laughs> helping me to talk to you guys and, and talk in that, in this way. Yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. The hard things, you know, the important things aren't easy. And yeah, I yeah. thought about it too. Like, should we still have this conversation today? And absolutely. Um, it would have been, we wouldn't have been, it would have been a failure if we didn't do it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for sharing with us. And uh, I, I, I am committed to those listeners to, to we'll put some things in the show notes in terms of resources uh, on if you're looking to try to, to take action or to be, you know, part of what we all want to be further solutions and what we can do to create a more equitable and just world. And it feels so unjust right now. It's that's all we can do right now is, is try to try to uh, point at some things that we're reading and learning also and listen. Thanks team. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Rebecca. Appreciate Take a break. You, your yeah. inspiration. Uh, yeah. Really fun to meet you, Corey, as well. Um, yeah, officially. it's so great to meet you. I mean, it's weird meeting over Zoom, but I love it. So. <laughs> and Rupert awesome. says hi. Rupert. I know. I've been seeing Rupert hanging out down there. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's just looking for a place in the world right now. There he is. Hey, good boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for, for taking the time today. Yeah, I look forward to an in-person uh, gathering at some point. In yeah, well. I feel like, I honestly feel like we, you know, when, you know, we'd like to have you on again, but when we do it in the studio, I want to get the whole backstory of you growing up. And like, I just don't feel like we even scratched at that today. I mean, we got some of it, but I, I there's so much more there. So stay tuned. I was interested tuned, to hear yours too. Your little, <laughs> of your backstory. My, my shit show. Oh, no. <laughs> Doesn't look like a shit show now from where you're sitting. Looks pretty it's, good. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> awesome all right guys well Thanks, have a great everybody. afternoon yeah you and, too um, we'll talk to you soon okay all right be Ciao. good right. Bye. be good be good